we are uh, getting into, uh, back into the series we've been in this past summer. Uh, we're going through the first eight chapters of the book of Mark this summer. We just called it the Jesus way, right? The Jesus way. And I, and I mentioned this uh, last week that, yeah, that's the series for the whole summer. But this week and last week together are kind of a little mini-series uh, in the middle of this series. These two messages are extremely connected to one another, okay? And so if you missed last Sunday's message, I, I want to encourage you to go back and make sure you watch or listen to last week's message. Uh, this morning's message is kind of building off of that. But if you weren't here last week, we had a very uh, big so what, and this was the big so what last week. Focusing on keeping the rules misses the point. If you remember last Sunday, uh, Jesus was confronting these Pharisees who they had, they had reduced this relationship with God. Remember, that was the point. The whole point of this thing is that we would have a relationship with God. They had reduced this thing down to something about religion, about keeping rules, about just do's and don'ts, and had missed the point altogether. And we said if we're going to truly have this thing that Jesus desires for us, it's that we would have a relationship, not that we would just simply follow a religious system, right? That's the what, okay? But today we're going to talk about, well, how? How do we step into this relationship? And I think uh, we are going to, to look at a question that is very important for your lives. Before we get into that, I got to ask a question. How many of you like taking tests? Anybody like taking tests? No, you're right. None of you like taking tests. Nobody likes taking tests, right? I don't like taking a test. You know, it it's, feels overwhelming, especially you have fill-in-the-blank tests, right? Fill-in-the-blank tests, they're like overwhelming. How many of you remember what these things look like? This, uh, this picture here we got. We got the picture. It's a, it's a Scantron. We don't have it? Oh, we're missing a picture. Remember, okay, anybody remember Scantron? You remember Scantron, okay? They, I, get the, I get the, you know, hot sweats when I think about Scantron, you remember? And I have a friend here in the congregation. I'm not going to point him out right now. He, when we first met him, he worked for Scantron. And, and Amber and I, it took weeks to just get over this fact. Like, I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about you, right? Because nobody likes taking tests. We don't like to take tests. Okay. So there's one type of test, though, that if you're going to pick a test, I prefer multiple choice tests. Why? Because when you have a multiple choice test, at least one of them's right, right? You don't have to fill in the blank. At least one of the answers is right. And what we're going to look at this morning is a multiple choice question, probably the most important multiple choice question that the world has ever faced. And our answer to this is critical. And how we live out this answer is this how for how we have this relationship with God, all right? And I think it's critical for everyone. So if you're a guest here this morning, you're going to hear how to step into this meaningful relationship that God has for us. But if you're a follower of Christ, and I would say a lot of you, I, I recognize most of your faces out there. A lot of you are followers of Christ. Listen to me. What we're going to talk about may be one of the most challenging messages you've heard in a while, okay? Because this thing of faith is not something to take lightly. It's not something we just stumble into and we treat lightly. Sometimes we treat it far less important than it really is, okay? And so I, I'm just believing that God's going to speak to every one of our hearts, all right? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. As always, if you don't have a Bible, I think it's important every week to have your Bible. If you don't have one, you can always borrow one from the table at the back. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, grab one on your way out the door. It's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible, all right? Would you stand with me as we're going to read our primary text, though, this morning? Beginning in uh, verse 20 of chapter 3. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered there. 
so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us today, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these truths and you would dig them deep into our heart, Father, that you would open us up and help us to see as we need to see, Lord. If there's any ways in our life that are not in alignment with your will, God, I pray that you would speak that to us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. Cool. How many ever heard of C.S. Lewis? You ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Okay. Some of you, you've probably read the books. You've seen the movies, Chronicle of Narnia. Maybe you've seen, you read that. Uh, maybe if you've got into theology at all, C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of theology-type books. He wrote uh, The Problem of Pain. He wrote The Screw Tape Letters. Uh, another interesting fiction book that kind of speaks of things. But uh, one of my favorite books that he ever wrote was a book called Mere Christianity, all right? And in the book Mere Christianity, if you've never read it before, I'd encourage you. It's a great book to read. It's going to be challenging. It takes a little time to get through, but it's a, it is a great book for you. And one of the things he brings up in this book is called the trilemma. Not a dilemma, not two things, a trilemma, three things. And he says, basically, when it comes to Jesus, it's a multiple choice question. He's one of three. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. That's the options. You know, and sometimes people would say, well, yeah, but no, he's, 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 he's a moral teacher. He's at least a moral teacher. And, and C.S. Lewis has something to say about that. And I want to read that uh, to you here this morning. He said this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of heaven. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, but you can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, Jesus is one or the other. You're going to have to think about it. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. 
Those are your choices. And the text we're going to look at this morning brings this out, and it becomes evident that this is the question uh, that these people are dealing with. If you've got your notes, I want you to pull them out today. Everybody, try and have your notes out. It's the backside of your bulletin, because at the end of this message, there's some things you're going to need to write down, okay? So even if you don't write everything else, follow along a little bit today. Look at point number one. It's this. Is Jesus a lunatic? Is he a lunatic? What does that mean? It means he wasn't Lord, but he thought he was. Okay? He wasn't Lord, but he thought he was. Look at the text. Look at verse 20. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. How many of you got brothers or sisters? Okay, what would you do if your brother or sister started walking around telling people that they were God? Right? I know what I would do. I would get some duct tape and a straitjacket, right? Like, Shut up. <laughs> You're embarrassing me right now, okay? But that's what his siblings were doing. They're going like, Jesus has lost his marbles here, right? And think about it. Mary knew. Mary knew. His mother knew because the angels had visited him and said, listen, you are blessed. You're going to have a son. He's going to be the savior of the world. That's great. Joseph had an angel. But the siblings, what did they have? They had their parents saying, trust me, guys. He's God. And I'm, sure he is, mom. Like, I'm not so sure about this, right? This, this idea, and, and, and they began to question, like, I don't think, I don't think my brother's really God. I'm, I'm concerned about this, right? And this, we talked about this back in Easter. Remember we talked about this, that James was the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. We said this is probably one of the best defenses for the resurrection of Jesus because James was probably one of these siblings that was going after their brother and thinking he was out of his mind, Right? But what does James eventually become? He eventually becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And when he writes the letter James, how does he start? James, a servant of the Lord Jesus. He went from thinking his brother was crazy to actually recognizing that he was Lord and Savior. Why? Because he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. Right? So we say, I don't think he's a lunatic. So we come up with the second question. Number two, maybe he's a liar. He's a liar. This, he wasn't Lord against. If, if he's a lunatic, he wasn't Lord, but he thought he was, right? If he's a liar, he wasn't Lord, and he knew he was. He knew he wasn't Lord, okay? One option is that Jesus is just straight up an evil guy, just walking around deceiving people. That's one question, one option, right? And this is what Lewis is talking about. Like, okay, he can't be a moral teacher if that's what he is. If he's lying, then, then he's not a moral teacher, Okay? But another option is that Jesus really did have power. Like he really was doing all this crazy, cool stuff, but his power wasn't coming from God. Instead, it was coming from Satan himself. And you see, this was the position that the religious leaders at the time took. Look at, uh, with me at verse uh, number 22. It says this, And teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. All right? So this is the position. They're saying, okay, the guy's demon-possessed, right? What's happening here? It says that the, the uh, religious leaders came down from Jerusalem. It's a hundred-mile journey. There was obviously something going on that they wanted to go deal with, right? They were hearing these stories about this Jesus and all these things that Jesus was doing. They had seen and heard the prophetic words. Remember, Scripture talked about this Messiah that was going to come, and, and they're starting to hear these things. They're like, no, 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 he can't be the Messiah. He's doing all these miracles. No, 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 that's not it. And finally, they see he's casting demons out, and they're forced to, to question, okay, he's got power, 
and I'm not going to let him be Jesus. I'm not going to let him be Lord. Okay, so what is he going to be? I'm saying this guy's Satan. He's, he's, he's filled with Satan. He's filled with demons. That's how he's doing what he's doing, right? They're denying who Jesus is, right? And Jesus comes up and he says, listen, guys, you're making no sense at all. If you got your Bibles, look at, the, look at verse 23. Jesus says this. So Jesus called over to them and, and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. What's he saying? Your accusations make no sense, right? If I'm Satan and I'm casting out demons, you might as well just let me keep doing my job because I'm, I'm actually doing good stuff here. He's like, that's not how it works. Satan's not going to walk around and cast demons out. That's just not how it works, right? He's like, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't happen. Saying, uh, that makes no sense, guys. But we, we look at the text and we realize that, that there's a point that gets brought up here. If you look at verse uh, 29, it, it's this verse that is probably one of the challenging texts that we read in Scripture where it says this, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. You ever read that before? Like, whew, what is that? How many of you ever heard of this word, the unpardonable sin? Anybody ever heard this before? Okay, some of you maybe heard of this before. Okay. There's certain denominations that have doctrines built around this. And I'll just say a lot of those doctrines are non-biblical. They, they aren't from Scripture. They're, they're manufactured with man's thoughts. And we talked about this last week. Whenever we get man's thoughts at the same level of God's word, we got some issues. Okay? But this idea of an unpardonable sin, like something that you can't be forgiven of, I, I just want to stop and bring this up because when we look at the context, we understand what Jesus is referring to. Because look at verse 30. Look down at verse 30. What does it say? He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Okay, so the context of this verse is about these religious leaders who have seen what God has done. They've seen his miracles. They've seen Jesus walking around teaching. They've had the witness of who Jesus is. And they're denying this. And then they're faced with this demons being cast out. And they're forced, rather than acknowledging who he is, what have they done? They've said, no, I'm completely hardening my heart to this. And instead, I'm saying, nope, he's demon-possessed. Okay? And so I just want to say this because sometimes I have people talk to me like, I'm afraid I might, have, I might have committed the unpardonable sin. Listen, if you're in concern, like concerned about the fact there's still some level of, of conviction on your heart, you don't need to be concerned that you've committed the unpardonable sin. Okay? Okay? Because if the Holy Spirit is still active in your life, then you are okay. You're okay. Here's my recommendation. Run to Jesus. That's what you should be doing. Run to Jesus, all right? Don't, don't just like be lax about this. Run to Jesus. But here's the deal. The, the, these religious leaders have gotten to a position where they had hardened their heart so much to the who Jesus is that he said, you know what? There's no way I can save you. Why? Our only hope, we all know this, our only hope is who? Jesus, it's his work. His death and resurrection is the only hope. And if we harden our heart to him, there is no salvation left for us. There is, that is unpardonable because there is nothing that can save us, okay? So these religious leaders, these religious leaders, they, they thought Jesus is a liar. He's not a liar. He's saying that doesn't make any sense, guys. So we're left with only one other option. Remember, it's a multiple choice question. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. He's Lord. Now, that's great for the Pharisees and these religious leaders that they, they maybe didn't make the right decision. For us, it's very important. What is the decision that we're going to make? Okay? What is our thought? What is the choice that we're going to make? Who is Jesus 
for us, right? If you grant me the fact that Jesus is Lord, that maybe he wasn't a liar, maybe he wasn't a lunatic, there's an even more important question. And it's not, is Jesus Lord? The most important question for you and I is simply this. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? And if you're a follower of Christ and you're like, Greg, this is like seriously like Christianity 101 here, give me a moment, okay? Because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us and he's going to challenge every single one of us in this area. Because it's fine for us to think that, uh, you know, we can say this out loud, this verbalize this idea of him being Lord, but it's, it's far more than just something we verbalize. There's a verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We're all familiar with this. If you've been in church at all, here's Romans 10, 9. When it comes to salvation, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and, we, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? We all know this verse, right? You've heard this verse. Many of you can quote this verse, right? But I think what is concerning to me and what concerns me for for people who show up to church sometimes is that you think that this is just something that an activity that we do. This is something, I just got to say the right words. If I just say the right thing, then everything is going to be okay. But you see, this, this phrase, this phrase, Jesus is Lord, is the most important phrase in here. Because this is not some external statement of fact. This is an internal statement of commitment. All right? Like, I can walk around, I can say, eating healthy is important. That's a statement of fact. It only matters when I say it, say, eating healthy is important. Get it? You get it. Jesus is Lord. That's great. Guess who else says that? The demons. That's what the book of James says. Even the demons say, he's, he, they know who he is, right? They say it has no effect on their life. Why? Because the demons have not made Jesus their Lord. And so we can walk around and we can say, Jesus is Lord. Yep, he's Lord, he's Lord. Question, is he your Lord? And the word Lord is an important word. We don't use Lord very often. I don't call a lot of people Lord, okay? Okay, you maybe read, you know, Lord of the Flies when you were a kid. Maybe you saw Lord of the Rings movies or something like that. We don't use Lord every day. I want to explain to you what it means to be Lord. I'm going to use a picture for you. There's a picture of uh, A and B. Here's, here's the deal. I'm going to say that A is Lord over B. This is what lordship means. It means that B belongs to A, and A has the power of decision-making over B. B belongs to A. A has the power of decision-making over B, all right? So if Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? It means he, he owns us. We've given ourselves completely over to him, and he has the power of decision-making over our lives. It's no longer about what we want. He is in control. Only problem is, some of us like to be in control. Can I get a witness? Okay. I like to be in control, right? I'm a recovering control freak, to be honest, okay? Like, I, I like to be in control. Some of you out there are control freaks as well. Here, I saw this meme one time. This is what control freaks say. As long as everything is exactly the way I want, I'm totally flexible, okay? <laughs> that, that's how control freaks live, all right? And maybe you wouldn't say you're a control freak, but you would say, you know what? I like things my way, right? I like to be in control. I like to be sitting on the throne of my own life, right? But if Jesus is going to be Lord, that means we get off the throne. We get off the throne. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. He talks about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. He says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross 
daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Some of you can quote this verse, right? But this is a hard verse. How many know this is a hard verse, right? You want to be a disciple? You've got to deny yourself. What does that mean? You've got to get off the throne. You have to get off the throne. But it's more than getting off the throne once, because some of us came to an altar. Maybe 20 years ago, you came to an altar, right? You came to an altar, and you gave your life to Jesus. But he says this, you've got to take up your cross. That means you've got to die. But how often? Daily. Daily. I've heard it said that, man, the the hardest part about the Christian walk is that it's so daily. It's every day. Because what happens? We wake up in the morning. What do you want to do when you wake up in the morning? I want to get back on the throne. That's what I want to do. I want things to be my way. I want it to be about me, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, you want to be my follower, student? You want to be my follower? It's not about just raising a hand one time and then caring about your life. It's about saying, Jesus, you are Lord, which means I give you the power of decision-making over my life, not just when I like it, not just when it's the thing that I want, no matter what, I give you the power of decision-making over my life, all right? So I want to get to our big so what here, and this is a very important big so what. This is one of those ones you may need to write down, you may need to put it somewhere in your life, you may need to write it in a book somewhere, you may need to put it on a mirror somewhere, okay? This is one of those things. Here's your big so what for this morning. If you want Jesus as Savior, he has to be Lord. If you want Jesus as Savior, he has to be Lord. We all love the Savior part, right? We love the mercy part. We love the love part. We love the grace part. Those are good things. But if you want that stuff, you have to have the Lord part. There is no exception there is no getting around this if you want him as savior he has to be lord okay and unfortunately for us because we don't like these words but lordship brings up some other words it brings up words like surrender brings up words like submission it brings up words like righteousness it brings up words like holiness and dying to yourself These are not the words we like to talk about. These are not the things we like to think about. But if we are going to make Jesus Lord, these are the kind of words we have to make a part of our life. I want you to hear this. Making Jesus your Lord is not an issue of perfection, right? It's not an issue of perfection. How many know we're never going to be perfect, right? We are never going to do this thing perfectly. We are never going to make him Lord perfectly in every area of our life, at every moment, and never make a mistake. That's never the case. And the good news is our righteousness is not what saves us, okay? Our righteousness, our holiness is not what saves us, right? We are saved by God's grace through faith. We receive his grace through faith. And when that takes place... What happens? It says that the righteousness of Jesus is put over us, and God sees us through his righteousness. So again, our acts of righteousness are not what save us, okay? All right? But I ask you, what is faith? We say we're saved by grace through faith. What is faith? My favorite definition, I've used this for years, is that faith is belief lived out. It's not just belief, right? It's not just happy thoughts. I got happy thoughts about Jesus. I think he's great. I think he's cool. I think he's Lord. Yep. I think all these things. No, no, no. It's belief lived out. 
That's what faith is. We look at Abraham, what it was, it was faith that took a step, right? That, that was a faith because he stepped out, right? And that's what it takes for us. If we're gonna place our faith, listen, our righteous acts, those good things that we do, those good dudes we have, those are not what save us. Those are merely evidence that we have made Jesus our Lord. What saves us is his righteousness. It's his grace. Do you understand? So those acts of righteousness, that holiness, it isn't that we do those things to earn anything. Those are a proof of, an evidence of the fact that we have made Jesus our Lord, all right? When we make Jesus Lord, it changes things, okay? Hear this, making Jesus Lord, it isn't a statement of perfection, but hear this, it is a statement of direction. Making Jesus Lord is a statement of direction. It says, listen, I want my life to head toward him, toward his authority. That means if I see something, if he reveals something in my life that is causing me to go the wrong direction, I respond and say, oh, God, I want to bring that under your authority. I want to bring that under your authority. I want to change. I want to, I want to be more holy. I want to be set apart, okay? We've got to ask this question, where are we heading in our lives? Where are you heading in your life right now? Where am I heading in my life? Am I growing in submission to Jesus as Lord, or am I doing things my own way? Am I doing what I think, okay? If we're going to make Jesus Lord, it means we're going to need to deny some other lords in our lives. So I'm going to give you some examples. These might be some things you need to think about. If Jesus is Lord, then there's some things that aren't Lord. Culture isn't Lord, okay? For a lot of us, culture is the deciding factor for us. What does culture say? What do they say is right? What are they saying is popular? What are they saying is important? What are they saying your money should be going toward? A lot of us, that's, that's an influence. I don't care where you're at. You're saying, I don't listen to culture. Nope, that's, we all are influenced by culture to some extent. But if we're gonna make Jesus Lord, then culture can't be Lord over our lives. Something else, desires and dreams, that can't be Lord. What we want for ourselves cannot be Lord. We are giving Deciding power over to Jesus. We're saying, no, I want what you want more than what I want, okay? Another thing, comfort can't be Lord. We live in America. I love comfort. I got a sleep number. I'm number 60. Any other 60s out there? No, okay. I love comfort, right? It's good, but comfort cannot be our Lord. Temptations, they can't be Lord. They cannot be the thing that dictates how we live our lives, all right? Here's one that might meddle for some people. Your political affiliation cannot be Lord, okay? And it just, it concerns me at times because sometimes it feels to me that there's, there's greater allegiance to a political affiliation than there is toward Christ. And I would say our calling first and foremost is to Christ, okay? That is our first allegiance, right? Okay? Another one, family and friends. That's great. We got to have these relationships, but they can't. What your mama says, what your spouse says, what your kids tell you cannot be Lord over your life. First and foremost, is Jesus going to be Lord? And lastly, it's just you. You can't be Lord. You have got to get off of the throne, okay? As we pursue this life that is, that is making Jesus Lord, what we are actually pursuing is a holy life. We're, we're doing a life that is set apart. That's what the word holy means. It means that we are set apart. We're not living like everybody else does because everybody else has, has their way of doing things. And we're saying, no, we are going to do things like God says. We are going to live a holy, set apart life, okay? And it's not just avoiding sin. 
I think sometimes we can think, well, I just, as long as I'm not doing any bad stuff, right? But that isn't what a holy life is. Because some of you might say, well, I'm not, Greg, I'm not really doing anything. I'm not, I don't sin really. That's not really a big struggle for me anymore, okay? That's fine. You're way holier than I am. But, but here's the deal. It's not a running away from. It's a running toward holiness and toward a holy life, a life that is set apart. This is going to meddle a little bit, and, and, and you might be uncomfortable with these questions, but I just felt God say these are some questions we need to ask ourselves this morning. I'm uncomfortable with these questions, okay? Rather than saying, is this sin? Because sometimes that's the way we think. Well, it's not sin, so I can do it. Here's a question. Does this decision put Christ first? Does this make Jesus Lord in my life? Okay? Here's another question that, and again, this, this can feel uncomfortable, all right? But when you're doing things, you're, you're taking steps, okay? If Jesus was in the room, would you feel justified by your actions? We already know the Holy Spirit dwells in, in us, so he's there anyways. You might as well ask the question. Like, I'm not, I'm not asking, like, you know, is it sin? I'm asking, do you, would you be able to justify your actions before Christ? Because if we're saying, Jesus, you're Lord, you're in control, then suddenly that has to get real. It has to like flush itself out in our everyday life, right? Could we justify those things? Those are things that we need to ask ourselves, you know? I know for some of you it feels weird because you're like, Greg, that kind of sounds like legalism. That sounds like you're just being really, you know, just detailed about these kind of things. Okay, here's what I want to say. Two things. First off, legalism isn't holiness, Okay? Just because you set up a bunch of rules and regulations, that does not mean that you are living a holy life. You might just be following a bunch of ridiculous rules. But hear this clearly, every one of you. Holiness isn't legalism. Okay? Living a life set apart is not legalism. I think sometimes we in the church, because we read scriptures, and, I, and I'm guilty of this. Trust me, I'm guilty of this. We read scriptures like last week where we talk about, you know, these Pharisees and, and they were so hyper-legalistic and we think, yeah, no legals, we should be free. Listen, listen, listen. There is holiness that is not legalism. Doing what God has asked you to do, that's not legalism. That's just called holiness. That's living a life set apart. And sometimes we like to say, ah, no, no, I'm, I'm under freedom, I'm under freedom. No, 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 no. You better be careful about this because this gets talked about in Scripture, okay? Uh, there's a couple verses. There's, there's so many passages, whatever, but there's a few verses that are just so clear about this. Jude, verse 4, says this. He's talking about a bunch of leaders. There's some leaders who've stepped into a church, and they're trying to say, hey, you're under grace. Do whatever you want. Don't worry about sinning. It's, not a, it's covered in the blood. You can do anything you want to. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. He's saying this. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. They're basically saying they want him as Savior. They just don't want him as Lord. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Listen, we're under grace. God forgives you. That's awesome. Great. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Paul's saying, listen, he's rescued you from all of this junk. He sets you free from all of this junk. And we, like dogs returning to our vomit, keep going back to this sin. He's like, that's not how we're supposed to live. We are putting Christ first. We are making him Lord. That means we change the way we do things. 
It means things got to look different. Our lives cannot look like the world, right? It has to look different. If we want him as Savior, he has to be Lord, all right? So, so I'm going to end here, and you may need to pull out your pencil here, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some things. I'm going to walk us through some areas of our life, and I've been praying this week as he's been speaking in my own life. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to you specifically. He will take these ideas and speak them to your hearts, okay? Because unfortunately, at times, I think we can blow off issues of sin. We can blow off issues where we're going the wrong direction and not really think, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is. It's a very big deal, okay? And so, uh, if Jesus is Lord, or, I, I just, or more so, I want to ask this question, is Jesus Lord over these areas? First and foremost, is he Lord over your heart and your desires? Over your heart. Is he the one you want to please? Is he the one that you want to ask for his wisdom? You want to do what he wants? Is, that, is he really Lord over your heart? Or are you desiring to do things your own way? Is he Lord over your tongue? Your tongue. This is the one that can meddle for all of us. Scripture talks so much about the tongue, the power of the tongue, right? Is he Lord over the words that we speak? The things that we speak, the things that we say, is he Lord over that? Or are we just doing things our own way? But it's not just our tongue that's in our mouth because sometimes we use our tongue this way, right? We use our tongues this way, okay? The things that we write, and I would go even as far as to say social media. Is he Lord over your social media accounts, okay? If you share those things, those are your words now. You're posting things on, those are your words. What are we saying are we allowing him to be Lord over our words? Another area is our mind, our thoughts. Things that we think. And that could be bad stuff, you know, how are we thinking, you know, about women? Are we thinking about men? Some of those kind of things. But it's also the good things. Are we allowing our minds to be filled with the lies of the enemy and thinking what the enemy has thought us? Or are we filling our minds with the word of God and choosing to believe his word, making him Lord of even our thoughts, right? Because I know some of you, you got lies that the enemy uses on you and, you, and they just go over, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, nobody cares about me, nobody values me, I'm worthless, I've screwed up, I'm never going to get any better. Some of these lies that the enemy speaks over you over and over and over and over again, you need to stop it. You need to make Jesus Lord over your mind. You need to say, God, I need to fill you, I need to fill my mind with your word, and then I need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay? That's what it means to make Jesus Lord over your mind and Lord over your thoughts. How about your body and your sexuality? Is Jesus Lord over that? Okay. Now, when we look at Scripture, Scripture is pretty clear about what is healthy, what is biblical sexuality look like. Okay. It's very clear. It's one man, one woman in the context of marriage. That's what healthy sexuality looks like. All right. Outside of that, we don't want to talk about it, but that's sin. Okay. And so the question is, are you wanting to make Jesus Lord over your life? Because if you are, then he better be Lord over your sexuality. 
He better be Lord over everybody. The bedroom better be included in this thing. We don't have a box and say, well, I'm going to keep the bedroom as the one me thing and everything else can be God. No, no. Is he Lord? Not you want him as Savior. He's got to be Lord. Okay? Maybe it's your relationships. There's other relationships you've got in your life. Is he Lord over your relationships? The way you speak to one another the way you care about one another, with your kids, with your spouse? Are you submitting things to him or are you doing things that's all about you? How about entertainment? Our entertain- Is he Lord over our entertainment? I told you this one was gonna meddle today a little bit. Is he Lord? Like I gotta ask myself this because there's times when I, I can look back and say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have seen that, Right? Are we going to make him Lord? Again, it's not perfection. I'm not saying we're never going to make a mistake. But is it, are we moving in the right direction? Are we beginning to submit more and more to his authority? Are we filling ourselves with what will lead us to holiness? Or are we filling ourselves with stuff that points us the wrong direction? We've got to ask the question. How about this? Your finances. Is he Lord in your finances? Jesus talked about this. He said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So hear this. Your money is a magnet. Your money is a magnet. Wherever your money is, that's where your heart will be. It attracts your heart, okay? And so I would say some of you, maybe you've never taken a step to to give back to God. Some of you, you know you should be tithing, but you don't. Listen, that is an issue of lordship, of saying, God, I am putting you first even in my finances, in my checkbook. Because we can all look at our checkbook and we know what's important to us, right? There's things that are important to me. I like to golf, so you're probably going to find some golf in my checkbook, right? What's important to you, you'll find in your checkbook. Is Christ first? You should find that in your checkbook. Is he Lord over your finances, over your stewardship? How about this, over your possessions, the stuff you got? Is he Lord over your possessions? You know? Are we using the things God's given us? Are we being good stewards of the stuff that we have, right? How about your time? You look at your calendar. You can tell what's important to you when you look at your calendar. What are we investing our time in? If Jesus is Lord, then we should probably be giving him some time in our schedules, right? We should probably be pursuing relationship with him, right? Last thing is your talents. You guys are gifted. You've got skills. You've got things that God has blessed you with. Question, are you submitting those things to his lordship and saying, God, I give those to you. You can use them however you want to. I'm not going to hold them back for myself. I want to use them for you. Okay? Listen, I know this is, this is a list that I've just been praying. I can't convince you of any of this stuff. I've just been praying, God, would you take a list like this and begin to make it specific to us? I'm not into legalism. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to say you should seek what God has to say about these things and then make the decision, am I going to make him Lord or not? Like, don't, let's not dance around it. Let's not fake it. Let's not show up on Sundays and say, Jesus, you're awesome, but not really live it. That's a waste of time. Like, I don't want to do that in my own life. And to be honest, this thing is rocking me a bit to say, okay, God, I want to accept. Remember, what did we talk about in week one? I said, sometimes Unfortunately, in faith, we come to Jesus and we experience all this growth. But then what happens? Six months to a year down the road, we just start looking at each other. And we're like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Look at that guy. 
I'm pretty good. I seem pretty spiritual. I see that guy back. I'm pretty spiritual compared to that guy, right? That's not who we're called to compare ourselves with. We're supposed to look at Jesus. Look at his word. What does he say? God, I want to grow. I want to be doing this in my faith. I want to be growing in my faith. I want to be making Jesus Lord more and more. I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, the, in the image of his son. That's what I want over my life. And that's what I want over every single one of us. That we would make Jesus Lord. Listen, Jesus didn't come to be your lucky rabbit's foot, your blankie, your sidekick, or to sit in the passenger seat. And he didn't just come to be your savior. He came to be your Lord. And if you want him, hear me, everyone in the room, if you want him as your savior, he has to be Lord. Okay? He has to be Lord. All right. You might think this is, well, that feels a little radical, Greg. This, this is the gospel. See, he didn't save us, you know, just like, ah, that's what, no. He saved us from our sin, our brokenness. He's rescued us. The question is, are we willing to let him save us? Remember, he wants relationship. How do we get that? It's only by saying Jesus is Lord, all right? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you what you have made available to us, God. You have given us the potential of new life, of being washed clean, of made totally new, God. We thank you for that. We thank you that it isn't based on our righteousness, on our holiness and how much we can clean ourselves up, God. We thank you that it ain't up to us. We thank you for that, God. We thank you that it's up to what you have done through us, God, but we recognize the only way we can receive it is through faith, which is belief lived out. We can only receive this salvation when we say, Jesus, you are Lord. You're Lord. You're Lord over everything. And our righteousness doesn't save us. It's just evidence that you've saved us. So God, this morning I pray Pray, God, that you would speak to us. You would reveal to us areas where maybe we have, we've gotten off course a little bit, God, where we have allowed the world, we've just said, ah, it's not a big deal. God, may we not do that, God. We're in dangerous territory when we do that, God. I pray that you would give us hearts that say, no, God, we want to surrender to you, even if I don't like it, even if not, when I, I want to die to myself. I want to get off the throne of my own heart, and I want to put you on the throne. God, help us.